1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile
0: banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and member FDIC.
2: This episode of Mom and Dad Are Fighting contains explicit language and discussion of mental health, including mention of suicidal tendencies. If you want to avoid this content, you can skip forward after our first listener question. Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, February 3rd the Taking Your Toddler to a Funeral Edition. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles, Henry, who's nine, Oliver, who's seven, and Teddy, who's five. And we live in Colorado Springs, Colorado.
3: I'm Zach Rosen. I host the very short podcast featuring Your Best Advice. It's called The Best Advice Show. I live in Detroit with my family. Noah is four, and Ami is one. And I'm back. I'm Eamon.
0: Yay! You're... <laughs>
4: I have a baby. His name is Musa. He is seven months old, which uh, sometimes makes me feel like I'm the baby. But uh, yeah, it's good. It's good. Uh, we live in Newark, New Jersey. Staff writer at Slate. That's my job. we
2: we're, we're so excited that you're back and we can't wait to get all the uh, baby updates.
4: My heart is pumping. Why am I nervous? <laughs> you
2: it's missed like a first us date. so much. <laughs> we're so, we feel like the baby has grown up with us. He's a mom and daughter fighting baby, really. <laughs>
4: he really is. He's a Musa is fighting with, with Baba thing right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs>
2: exactly. Well, on today's show, we have a question about preparing your two year old for the death of a family member. Then mm. Zach will talk to comedian, writer, and actor Chris Gethard. He just published a short memoir called Dad on Pills Fatherhood and Mental Illness. Mm. And on Slate Plus, The Headaches of Exchanging Valentines at School. Y'all, I'm, I'm deep and I'm looking mm. for some advice on how to calm the fuck down. Mm. Um, that's where I am. But first, we have a very fun listener update.
0: Hi, mom and dad. I wrote in almost two years ago asking advice on how to know when and if we should add a second child to our family. Life continued with our boisterous little girl until my husband and I both knew we really did want another after a very difficult loss of three months, we are now excitedly awaiting the arrival of our new edition this spring. I think I felt a lot of pressure to have my children two years apart, but once I let go of this, I realized that three years was a much more manageable gap for us. Thank you so much for your personal stories. It's great to hear that other parents have the same concerns and still come through on the other side. Thank you. Soon to be a mom of two.
4: Oh, we'll
2: the mom and two are so excited. Mazel tov! Proud
4: of you guys. Uh, we so love
2: up. these kind of updates, so please keep sharing them with us, and we then hopefully will share them with you. But let's start off the show with a round of triumphs and fails. Zach, can you kick us off?
3: Absolutely. Tonight is a very big night, my friends. Ooh! Because my four-year-old will be attending her first musical.
1: <gasps>
4: what? Oh, my gosh.
3: Wow. She's going to see Lion King. I'm not going, but my wife and Noah's aunt and Noah's grandmother are going too. So this is very exciting for two reasons. One, because I I haven't seen Lion King. I know people love it. But going to your first play is a big damn deal. And we love musicals in our family. And also, we've been hibernating for two years and not going places. (laughs) And uh, the theater requires a negative... COVID test for kids who are not yet vaccinated. So Noah had to get tested for this, um, which is kind of annoying, but totally understandable. And okay. so, like, she's going. And I'm so excited for her. We watched the movie for the first time. And Lion King is deep. It's and, very deep. <laughs> and I, I don't Talk know about funerals, man. The, the play is exactly, less deep, I think. Oh, okay.
2: The movie. I, at least i <laughs> I mean, I've like sobbed at the movie. Lion King was the first play we took Henry to, but it was in hmm.
0: Dutch. So maybe it's incredibly
2: deep. (laughs) I I just was lost in translation. That's
4: such a good language to see Lion King in. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot
2: lot of that. Um, Is she gonna get dressed up? Is she like? Is she excited about the whole production of everything?
3: (laughs) Yeah. What what does a
4: four-year-old wear to a play? (laughs)
3: <laughs> I, don't, I don't think she's going to change clothes from school. I'm just hoping she's going to take a nap after school because it starts at 730. But the other thing, amen to your point, is that Mufasa dying was like a big deal um, when I first saw that movie. And we've been talking about death since. I think this sets us up to, to talk about um, today's listener question. But Lion King is such a, you know, a joyful and heavy story. And um, I feel like it's a rite of passage. And uh, this is this is our, our week for it. So it's it's exciting.
4: Did you love Lion King when you were growing up? Is this like a big moment for you too?
3: Oh, big time. Yeah, I loved it. I think I was telling my wife the other day, it's one of the only movies I've ever seen um, more than once in the theater. Mm. Oh. It came out in 1994. So Great year. It, so I was 10. So we introduced it to Noah when she was four. I don't know if that's too early, but she seems to be taking to it.
2: The play to me is so magical because... Every, all the animals are on stilts and just these incredible oh, costumes. Like, the way
3: they do the birds, too, with like,
4: oh man, the yeah, stick. I mean, it's, and they slap like them around. Puppet
2: show, but live theater. But yeah. I, it's just such a I'm colorful, jealous. wonderful place. You
4: should go. Whatever plans you have, cancel
3: <laughs> I got to babysit the baby. <laughs> mm.
2: It's unfortunate. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> okay. That's an amazing triumph. I'm so excited. Okay. Mm-hmm. Amon, we need. We need all the details about oh, all man. the things.
4: I don't know if we have enough time for details because every day is a freaking adventure. Talk about Lion King. Oh, my God. Musa is just a like... Life. It's, it's so crazy. Uh, so he's seven and a half months now. He laughs. He has a freaking laugh. He has attitude. I'm feeding him food now. It's not just the bottle. And he can hold the bottle by himself. He could sit up all day. He just grabs things and yanks them, which is uh, kind of concerning because now I'm, I have a lot of plants and a lot of hanging vines and, and he'll just like snatch things and I'm, I'm just worried about the. I just know what's mm-hmm. going to happen next. I know it's going to happen next. So now I'm trying to <laughs> get around to like baby proofing and I really don't want to because I didn't grow up around any baby proofing. I had four siblings and yeah. just everything could kill you and that was just how we lived life back then. So uh, I, I'm kind of weighing whether or not I want to baby proof and how much do I want to baby proof.
2: Just the things that cause real danger. Like a small falling plant, that's a lesson on gravity.
4: <laughs> they, they probably live, right? Yeah. Yeah, it'll yes. be fine. they will be fine. Yeah. Exactly. I, I don't know. So that's the thing. It's like all of the chemicals and the dish detergent and all that stuff is in a room and it's locked, like a, a yeah, closet with a lock yeah. on Yeah, that's stuff
2: I worry about. That and electricity.
4: Yeah. yeah. Right, so you took care of that. But, but my oh, partner yeah. wants to, like, put plastic things on the corners and she wants mm-hmm. to, like, Plug the plugs and with like these little plastic things.
2: You should do the plugs. Really? You know how he's grabbing things now. He's gonna get into a phase of what can I put things in?
4: Oh no, (laughs) it's really funny. We used to have like an old huge television set, and one day it stopped working, and my mom took it to the television set repairman because that's that was a thing that we had. Yeah, and Uh they opened it up and they found like I think like thirty dollars worth of quarters and coins and all this (laughs) stuff that we should just slot (laughs) into the television set. R.I.P. that TV set. Anyways, b- back to Musa. Musa is he's he's a riot. We had a friend who had a baby just two months after we did. And she came over and brought her baby. And so today was the first day that Musa ever met someone smaller than himself.
2: Oh, what did he think?
4: He's like very protective of him. He just keeps like an, <laughs> an arm on him at all times. Yeah. You know, you plop him down. Even while they were both drinking their milks, holding their bottles, he just had one arm just like on him <laughs> just to I make sure you. that he's still there. Yeah. Aww. It's really cute.
2: love that. I know. That's such a fun face. Okay, well, I have a big old, like, big kid fail. Oh, no. (laughs) So, you and your little kids. So, you know, we're doing our first year of having a kid in public school. We we were in Dutch schools and then homeschooling and then Henry got into school in the woods and so we're there. They have a big project at school. They got these stories and they're learning to retell them and they're from all different cultures. Henry's is a um, story from an indigenous peoples about coyote and getting um, the bows mm-hmm. and how all the different animals uh, gained like their strength and power. And the thing is, he's like a really good reader. He can read, he read it probably twice, memorized it, can recite it. Wow. And so he will do fine. But to me the entire point of this exercise is to do better, right? Like the whole point is to be pushing them to learn new things and do better. And so they they've had several weeks to practice this. His presentation is on Wednesday, and I asked him yesterday, you know, the sheet came home from the teacher asking them to practice two or three times at home. He's like, "Well, mom, the other people don't even have theirs memorized. I'm fine." <laughs> And I just have this, like, yes, he is absolutely fine. He will do totally fine. Mm. But it's, like, not good enough for me. Mm. And my husband is very, Jeff is, like, we need to push him kind of slowly to make these changes. He did his little presentation. It was fine. He had his hands in his pockets, kind of dancing around, kind of not really paying <laughs> attention as he recites the story to us. And I'm, like, looking at the grade sheet, and I must have just had the most, like, mom face because he was like, I can't do this if mom's going to look at me that way. <laughs> and I was like, I can't do this if you're not going to try, you know? And <laughs> just, like, like it was so yeah. bad. I ended up, like, leaving with the little two kids And letting Jeff kind of sit with it. And then Henry came upstairs and says, well, dad says I'm going to get a four, which is the highest grade in this grade scale. Mm -mm. And I just was like, for some reason that set me off. And I just was like, well, that's great. I don't really care what grade you get. I'm disappointed at Mm -hmm. the amount of work you've put into this. And then walked out of the room. When I came in to do bedtime stuff, he was like, can you just sit on the floor and tell me what you think I could do better? So in that sense, Mm -hmm. it worked. But I also just like I don't it's like not the mom I want to be like yes, I got the outcome that I wanted, and this morning when he did it, it's markedly better because he actually listened to the suggestions I had and the suggestions that Jeff had. Jeff had given him some suggestions as well, but I don't feel great about how it happened
4: <laughs> mm. I, I see where you're see I see where you're coming from. it's just that i I think I see it as a success. It sounds like he really like did grow in that moment, and and it sounds like they're moving forward, going to be thinking about that and thinking about how can I do better, which is what you wanted. I I can only hope that I could be like that
3: effective of a parent. Like that sounds great.
2: But am I using shame, or doesn't matter? Your point is, it doesn't really matter what tool I use.
3: Tone is also important. What? How did you say it?
2: I did not yell. I I just said. I'm really disappointed in what I saw downstairs. Hmm. I always say, like, I still love you. I say that all the yeah. time. Like, I love you no matter what. I love you whether you get a one or a four or you don't try. That will not change my love.
3: I think that's totally legit. I think you're okay. just lovingly pushing him to try harder. And that he asked for that feedback, like Amon said. That's huge. For a kid to ask for feedback, how can I do this better? Like, that's a big deal.
2: I do feel like, though, some of it is that I'm entering into a different you know stage of parenting Hmm. because he's almost 10
4: yeah wow
2: (sighs) guys i may not survive
4: i think you're doing great honestly i'm envious it's it sounds like that couldn't have gone better and maybe you know that there's room for yourself to improve so maybe there's like a weird matrix thing happening where you're disappointed in yourself because you know you could do better
2: that is it amon actually I'm disappointed in myself. <laughs> Maybe I should tell him that. Aww. Not only was I disappointed in you, I'm disappointed in And disappointment
4: husband. is not something that you should <laughs> run away with either.
0: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey. <sighs> well, that's
2: why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better. And dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. (sighs) Well, with my problem behind us, we move on to somebody else's problem. (laughs) Which is being read, as always, by the fabulous Shasha Leonard.
0: Dear Mom and Dad, It looks like my mother-in-law may die in the next few days. She has dementia and is refusing liquids, food, everything. I'm just so sad for my husband even though he feels like she's already gone anyway. I'm sad for my two-and-a-half-year-old. I'm sad I never really got to know her due to distance and cognitive decline. Her decline over the past year, and especially the last four months, has really accelerated, so while it's not unexpected, the timing is a surprise for me. How do I handle grieving and this funeral with my two-year-old? Thanks. Thanks. Adulting is tough.
3: I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry for for this loss. Adulting is tough. This is one of the hardest things in life. And um, your question is really good. First, I thought we could just talk about, do you do you two remember when you first went to a funeral?
4: The earliest one I remember, I was like 12 or something. It was my mm-hmm. uncle who I really was like very extremely close to. And I didn't give myself room to cope. I just sort of put my head down, and every time anybody came over to like say anything, I was just like acting like I was mad at them for like talking to me like I couldn't handle it. And I mean, I was a little kid, but um, I can't remember anything before that. What about you, Elizabeth?
2: Yeah, I don't. I don't remember anything probably prior to those middle school years. I grew up Catholic, and so I definitely remember like the ceremony of everything because everything for Catholics is very there's a lot of ceremony and a, and a lot of just procedure of how things are and so a lot of that has stuck with me but I don't think my parents ever took me to a funeral as a child if if they do I certainly don't remember but I can remember like weirdly the one that really sticks with me is that my orthodontist died mm. In a helicopter crash, of all things. And, like, that, I think, was this first time of, like, this this recognition of, like, death taking people kind Mm -hmm. of uh, from your life without any rhyme or reason, right? Not just, like, a person who had gotten older who had passed away, but this, like, person that I saw all the time and then them just being gone.
4: Mm -hmm. I mean, two and a half years old is... I mean, there's so many ways to think about this. But in my opinion, that feels like it's too young to explain the concept of death. I think at this point, let a kid be a kid. So just two and a half years old, I wouldn't even go there, personally.
2: I mean, I'm a big believer in answering the questions with real answers. So definitely, like, not hiding what you're going through personally and also not hiding, like, if they ask, like, I think there's a lot of harm to be done in using, like, euphemisms or not explaining things like, oh, they. W- if, if you say they went to sleep and they never woke up, like, that mm-hmm. can be really scary. Yeah. So saying, like, they died, their body stopped working, to me, is less scary. But I also agree that, like, two is so little. Like, yeah. can they even form these questions And adults have a tendency to over-explain things that don't necessarily need to be addressed.
3: Yeah, like I think two and a half is old enough to understand sadness while not necessarily understanding death. Mm. And so whether or not you take them to the funeral, we Jews do shiva. So like for the seven days following the funeral, we sit with the bereaved and um, are just solemn and like hang out in the house and, you know, don't listen to music or party. We just like talk about the person that we lost and whatever religion you come from, there might be some of that after the funeral. And I think for the kid to be around sad people is great. Like, I think it's really important for kids to see mommy and daddy not being joyful sometimes. I don't think there's any reason to shy away from that stuff. And if your kid asks like, What's wrong? You could just say if you're not ready to talk about death, which I agree, it too too is, is early to talk about that. You can say I'm really sad, mm-hmm. um, and I, th- I think that's fine. So there's a there's you know two questions here: what do we do about the grieving, and what do we do about the funeral? Maybe you don't take them to the funeral. But of course, um, you'll figure that out for yourself. But like, I wouldn't shield them um, entirely from from you being sad and at a loss. I think that's important. It's a really great point.
2: There's some very joyous things about gathering for death as well in in remembering people and being able to be with all these people you love. Like, how often are we able to gather? We wish we were gathering for something else, but still having the love of these these people around. For the funeral, I had, like, very practical advice, which is, like, you know your child. Can your child sit through this type of ceremony? Um, And keeping in mind that I think people sometimes think, like, well, my kid needs this or the family needs this. Like... Will my child being there be a distraction to other people? Because the funeral and that process is really a closure process for everyone that's left here. And so are you somehow taking away from other people or are you adding to it? There are certainly situations in which the children are an important part of that and helping other people grieve. There are also times in which given the type of ceremony you're going to have or the type of thing that's happening that it's just really inappropriate. And I think that's a deeply personal decision and it's something you should certainly obviously talk Talk to your husband about and talk to their family about what are other people doing with their children. Mm -hmm. But there are going to be a lot of people at the funeral that behave in a lot of ways that are not kind of typical behavior. And so what is your child going to do with that information? Mm -hmm. Uh, And just make the choice that's best for your kid. They're not going to remember at 2.5 whether they were there or not there. So it's really more of a decision for you.
4: Right. You know, and I had to learn this a weird way by taking my kid on a plane when he was just like crying and, and being just too much for the people around him. So, uh, I would say, uh, it's just if you do decide, if, if you just figure out like what you want to do first and then decide that you want to take your, your child to a funeral, it's okay to give yourself a way out and and say to yourself, okay, if things aren't going exactly as planned, it's fine to just get up and leave. I think people would understand yeah. they tend to put a lot of pressure on themselves to apologize for people and to push through the annoyances and, and the crying and everything. Uh, it, it's okay. I think also not going to the funeral is a good choice too. Like, all, There's no wrong choice here.
3: And just so you don't have to miss the funeral. If your kid does have to leave, just get a babysitter, someone that can be with them at the funeral with you who they trust because you don't want to miss out on your yeah, opportunity you to definitely- grieve
2: be there too for your spouse yeah there are lots of great books out there i i don't have any specific recommendations but there are so many great books for children kind of about death and about um the grieving process so i also really really recommend (laughs) checking out some of those reading them kind of prepping this is a fundamental human experience we're gonna lose people in our lives and in the end right we're all gonna die so hiding That from your kids, I think, only leads to bigger questions later. Amen. One of the not fun parts about parenting.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well,
2: listener, we are sincerely wishing you and your family well. If Mm -hmm. you have a question, please send it in. Email us at at slate.com or do what this listener did and post it on the Slate Parenting Facebook group.
5: Occasionally, we snatch questions from there, too. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
2: Zach, I know you're a fan of our next guest, Chris Gethard. For those of us uninitiated, tell us a little bit about him before you two talk about his new memoir.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's safe to call him like a cult comedy hero. He's from New Jersey, and he first became semi-famous as the host of his own public access talk show called The Chris Gethard Show. It eventually ended up on cable and kind of launched him into the, I wouldn't say mainstream, but mainstream-adjacent. He's been in movies and on TV. He was in that movie, Don't Think Twice, which mm-hmm. I love, that Mike Birbiglia film. He hosts two podcasts, and now he is a dad to a toddler. And he's written, uh, I don't know if you call it like a long essay or a short memoir. It's on Scribd originals. So it, it took me like a couple hours to read, and I'm a slow reader. So you can get through it pretty quickly. It's 40 pages. It's beautiful. It's called Dad on Pills, Fatherhood and Mental Illness. I totally recommend it. And you can learn more about how to read it yourself by following the link in our show notes, or you can just Google dad on pills, fatherhood and mental illness. So, you know, not surprisingly, we talk about fatherhood and pills and mental illness. All these topics I think Chris talks about with such humility and grace and humor and vulnerability. I was really excited to talk to him. Here it is. Well, Chris, I read your new memoir and honestly, it it deeply resonated. Thanks for putting yourself out there the way you did.
1: Oh, um, please. I'm lucky to be able to put myself out there and I'm so sorry to hear that. It resonated. That's why you sorry. uh, Well, anytime you write about depression, let alone thinking about my kid through that lens is hard. So if you identify with it, I'm like, well, I hope, I hope you identify with some of the fun parts and the funny parts as well. But you know, in its guts, I think it's a, it's a tough conversation
3: it's a tough conversation and yes I do identify with the funny stuff too but I think honestly man like to not have that conversation with our kids right now seems so much less appealing than to than to have it
1: I think people my age are kind of the first generation of parents that have to think about how to have the conversation because it wasn't really an open conversation up until a few years ago adults were keeping it very close to the vest as far as taking medication and seeing shrinks and all this. So now all of a sudden we have to figure out how to navigate kids in that conversation. That's interesting. It's tough.
3: It's super interesting. And I I mean, honestly, I find this to be like a supremely hopeful point that you make this notion that we're the first generation that's going to be talking about it in a new way with our children or, you know, frankly talking about it, you know, rather than pretending that it's not there.
1: Yeah. It's, it's wild to think about, Growing up in the 80s there's so many kids who got enrolled in karate classes when their parents these days would opt for therapy instead to try to solve the same problems and, and and yeah it's uh it's very strange especially to be a dad and to have a son and to think about like toughness and masculinity and all that it's uh it's pretty head spinning but I'm glad it's resonating with people
3: i mean the first emphatic point you make in this piece you say your kids are born into your bullshit and are responsible for none of it. Own that. Make sure they know it. It's perfectly okay to have a bunch of bullshit in your past and in your brain. You deal with it. Don't make them shoulder the load. So I'm wondering, at what point in your parenting journey did you learn this lesson?
1: I felt it even before he was born. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, was just, I mean, that's kind of at the root of this whole essay existing is me sitting here going, can I? We're gonna try to have a baby, and I take pills every day. And I've fallen off the wagon in not so long. I mean, like eight, seven, eight years ago, I fell off the wagon, and uh, I've had multiple episodes where people have sat me down and said they were gonna commit me to a mes- mental hospital because I, I seem so out of control. You know, I like I am gonna have a kid, so all of the self questioning. I was just firmly committed to the idea of if if he has his own mental struggles, I'll have his back hard, but I don't want him to just have mine by default. I don't want him to be saddled with mine. Like he at least deserves some breathing room to uh, figure out what his own lapses are. I expressed some of these feelings to a friend once, and a person said back to me, you know, like the fact that you're worried about this stuff is such an advantage for him you know, cause my parents are fantastic, mm-hmm. really, really incredible. And I think they know that I admire them and the job they did greatly, but it was not a conversation they were ready to have. And I'm very ready to have it.
3: You've been really open about mental health and you wrote that it's a huge honor to let your guard down and inspire others. But is there a flip side to that? Has it taken a toll in some way?
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean uh, this, you know, this piece dad on pills, this is really the first I've spoken to mental health since my HBO special, which came out in 2017. And there's been so many times in between where people have asked me to come speak at events or participate in things. And I've by and large distanced myself from it because a, it's not the sum total of my personality and I don't want to just be the depression guy forever. Right. And I've kept some distance from it. And, and then on a personal level too, You know, I put out my HBO special where I spoke very openly about it. Like I said, that was 2017. It came to HBO 2016. I did it off Broadway. There's a few things I think about. It's like one, it was written up then as like this really notable thing. And I don't know that the same show would get that now because the conversation has even in the past five years shifted so much Mm -hmm. that I don't think it would have felt as risky today as it did five years ago to get up there and be like, yeah, I'm a guy, I'm on pills, I've tried to kill myself, I've thought hard about it, here's what the side effects are like, and a whole bunch of jokes. I like that the conversation's not as 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 risky as it once was, but I still get multiple messages every week from people saying they saw it and it helped them. And 99% of the time I sit there, I go, oh man, like if I never work again, what a cool legacy. Like I made a thing Heck yeah. and it helps some people and that's better than I thought I could ever do. And I, I help some people who feel how I have felt at my loneliest. Like what a commendable thing. But I'll tell you the other 1% of the time, I sit here, I go, there's so much pain and sadness in the world. And by speaking publicly about it, I, I have opened myself up to becoming like a bit of a receptor yep. of it. That now people know that I'm someone who will have the conversation and has had had the conversation. And that's on me. And now I'm responsible for having it. It's not the easiest thing in the world. And it definitely messed with my head. Messed with my head a lot. My friend Gary Goleman, who is a a great, great comedian. Much better than I am. He did a special on HBO, I think last year. Um, And he got really honest about his mental health. And uh, we sat down. We went and got lunch. And uh, we had somebody put us in touch, uh, someone who I work with professionally was like, you got to talk to Gary and just tell him what's coming. And I was like, Gary, just like set some sort of like internal parameters for yourself now because like you're about to hear some really sad things from people all over and it's not always easy. I have no regrets, but I definitely gave a piece of myself away for sure.
3: And I can imagine someone walking by and seeing you two at lunch together being like, oh my gosh. This is the frickin' Mount Rushmore of (laughs) Funny Bros.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there (laughs) you go. Great
3: Depression meets Career Suicide, I can't even comprehend.
1: Yeah, the ultimate mashup, man. It's like when Jay-Z and Linkin Park (laughs) got together. (laughs) I I remember I was once uh, out of town. This was before my son was born. And like many a uh, New York artist, my wife and I would sometimes go, okay, this weekend we got nothing. Maybe we can go up to the Catskills. And we were up there and I went to this little restaurant and the guy comes out and walks up to me and loud in front of everyone else in the, in his restaurant. And he goes, he goes, Hey, thanks for coming to my spot. Don't kill yourself while you're here. Huh? And I was just like, Oh, that, Oh yeah. No, nah. oh, I hope I, I hope I don't man. And like, I laughed cause it was so twisted, but I'm like, yeah, like I am effectively a character on a screen. Mm-hmm to this guy and that's who he's yelling at and he's happy i'm here but he doesn't realize like i might be in a bad place man but sometimes i'm just like oh god
3: it's an awful joke and it's a joke that people have made to you before you write about now that you're having a kid you can't kill
1: yourself yeah that one happened yeah the catskills one was years ago but that i've gotten that more often than you'd expect. And a lot of times from other comedians who inherently are always sort of dark with each other, but yeah, buddy, you got a kid now. I guess you can't kill yourself. And I'm like, oh, really? I I can Well, it's one of the things that was hardest to write about in the book and that I was kind of took the most finessing because I'm like, Mm -hmm. kind of offer up the point of like, yeah, I can. Like I can and I might. And I'm someone who historically has tried and has thought about it. And I, I pray that I don't. But by saying, hey, you have a kid now, you can't kill yourself. Well, no, 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 no. Cause that presupposes that he's responsible for me. And that couldn't be farther for the truth. Mm-hmm. I'm responsible for him. He's not gonna be responsible for me for many, many decades, hopefully, right? Mm-hmm. So that joke was like, I, was, I would go like, like people would say, it, and I'd give like a clearly fake, like, and just kind of like move on. But I was like, why is it bothering me so much that this is people's joke? And I go, oh, because that's that joke puts him in 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 the line of fire in a way that's really not fair. And and got my gears turning and it shows up in the essay too. Of like, I, I think I'm not the only person in my age group who maybe feels like our parents' generation handed us a bunch of their baggage. And I think it would be a really nice rallying cry for my generation to go let's push the reset button on that this little guy is not responsible god forbid i ever do something to myself probably the last person on earth who should take any responsibility is my son yeah all he did was like show up without any choice in the matter and try to figure himself out so that joke really it like scared me and grossed me out and took a long time to figure out why, but the process of figuring that out is, was kind of a major impetus in and putting pen to page on this one. And it's, it's part of why I felt like this was actually worth opening up about this stuff again, because he does not need to worry about this and he is not responsible for it. And I felt, I felt very cathartic to write and to sort out those thoughts on that side of it.
3: What do you do at home, Chris, to make him know that?
1: Well, at this point, nothing, because he's two and a half. Right. So I mostly just want him to live in a house that feels safe and happy and secure, just like I think all parents have this instinctive desire to do. Mm-hmm. I tell him I love him every day, and I make sure he knows I mean it. There's usually at least one or two quiet moments a day where I'll just go like, buddy, you know I love you, right? And now. My father and I have never just—my father's never told me he loves me. I'm 41 years old; like we were not that kind of family. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 look, I know he does. Right. We just have never said it. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not the only one in my age group. Of course, I think that has this—that has this uh, <laughs> going on. Yeah. So I let him know. I make sure that every day there are stretches where I turn off the email and I put the phone on airplane mode, and he and I just play with dinosaurs and i think a lot of that is so simple that's one of the one of the true joys of this i found is is going there's no guidebook to this and it's daunting and it's exhausting and it's terrifying but at its core it is pretty simple just make this kid feel safe make this kid feel good and make him know that like whatever's going on outside the walls of this house inside the walls of this house he doesn't have to be stressed out. He doesn't have to be scared. And then at some point he'll be old enough to Google my name and I will have a lot of explaining to do between the suicide stuff and my bizarre old TV show and, and being a lot in of the a dumb stuff and... I've done. Yeah, there's, there's going to be a lot of stuff. <laughs> He's a few years away from being able to uh, intellectually have yeah. those conversations. But hopefully before we ever actually get there, there's going to be a time where he's going to sit me down. He's going to go, some kid at school said you're on HBO cause you want to kill yourself. And they're going to make fun of him for it. You know, I've mm. already sat and thought about that and we'll have the conversation. But my hope is that before we ever even get to that conversation, he's going to grow up in an environment where he just feels, I want to say support, but it sounds trite. It's, it's almost more basic than that of like, yeah, like your home, you're good. And you that's a foundation for you to stand on. And I think that that will make the conversation easier because I think he's going to hopefully someday, and I'm sure there's going to be days where he's like a shitty teenager who doesn't want to give me credit on anything. But I hope someday my son grows old and says, oh, my dad tried to make my home life pretty peaceful where he has like as much of a chance for this stuff to not affect his life the way it did mine.
2: That was Chris Gethard talking about his new Scribd original essay, Dad on Pills, Fatherhood and Mental Illness. And since we talked about depression and thoughts of suicide, we wanted to note if you or anyone you know are in crisis, having thoughts of suicide, or need help immediately, you can contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline anytime at 1-800-273-8255, or you can find help at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. All right, it's finally time for recommendations. Zach, what are you recommending this week?
3: So, in my ongoing quest to get Noah to listen to non-shitty music, <laughs> I took advice from someone from the Facebook group recently that said to start playing her musicals, and she's she's into that, but she's also still into like Disney stuff. Some of the music, you know, like we talked about earlier with Lion King, is is really wonderful, and so I found a kind of hybrid that I think is going to get us out of the kid zone into something a little bit more sophisticated noah on the disney app started watching a movie called tinkerbell and the legend of the never beast Whoa. and it happens to be um to have original music from katie tunstall and she really likes that and katie tunstall isn't you know she's like a folk pop she had that big song um what was that big song like um in the, da, 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 in the cherry tree Remember that song from like ten years ago? No, no. Oh, Black Horse on the Cherry Tree. And then also suddenly, I see. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. not bad, and it's kind of enabling me to play that for her and then like sneak in like Fiona Apple, because it's not it's so different that she's like, Wait, what's this? And so it's just, you know, about finding these bridge songs that she's familiar with from the movie that can also kind of get us out of hmm. Disney World. So it's working we haven't listened to like a full album of good music yet but i can sneak a couple songs in before she starts getting suspicious
2: so if you have a bridge song <laughs> tell us on facebook we need more. yeah what are your bridge songs zach needs more bridge <laughs> songs
3: yes thanks in advance <laughs> For
4: all the Muslim listeners out there, what up? I have a book that I want to recommend for your your little Muslim person. It's called Halal Hot Dogs, uh, and it's written by Susanna Aziz. It's really been hard for me to find like little kid books that have either Muslim themes or like Arabic looking kids in them. Uh, so far, I've been like sticking to ones with animals in them because uh, it's I don't know. It's just it's it's just been like a challenge for me. And sometimes I'll get like the religious books and they really lean heavily into like the God thing. And and I've been really looking for one that didn't try to explain the religion and was more about the experience of being in that community. And, and they just have pictures of kids inside the mosque, which has been really hard to find without them being like these little happy babies. Yeah. You know, uh, so this one's really been mm-hmm. a delight. I, I read it to my son o- almost every night. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like, it's funny where nice. like the kid is trying to pray, but his stomach is growling cause he's hungry. Like it has things like that, that are, it's, it's just everything that I've wanted in a little kid book. Uh, also the main character's name is Musa. So what? I,
2: oh my gosh. That's, that's perfect. That's it's exciting. Just, it's
4: everything I've ever wanted. <laughs> <laughs> and now I want a hot dog. There's another, there's another kid book then that's called like Mo and Mo and it's about like a Jewish and a Muslim friend that live like nearby and they become friends. So I've been reading my kid all as many stuff like that. That's about like the community. Yeah. And I just am so happy about it.
2: Okay, Makes me
4: feel good. Makes me feel like a good dad. Yeah, you're
3: doing it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I found this amazing book about teaching writing lessons. It's something I really struggle with is like, make not that making writing fun is hard but like something that's prepped out when I'm teaching at home and I found this great book I even brought it down here because I love it so much it's called Don't Forget to Write and there's there's one for older kids um, but this one is for elementary grades and what I love about it is that you open up and when it tells you exactly how much time the lesson is going to take it'll say like this should be done in four 20 minute lessons or this should be done in one one hour lesson or whatever it has all of the kind of like worksheets there for you to copy and the lessons are so fun so we just did this one about um, we built forts, and then there was a... Um thing in here about like your cave and what's living in your cave. And the kids took their stuff into their cave. And I went in with a little one and we wrote it. There's build something and then fill out a patent application. Like they're oh just goodness. really fun and clever. The worksheets are really great. I'm holding them up. Just like all kinds of images and fun things to fill out. And here's why I think even if you're not homeschooling, you should get this. This is a wonderful opportunity on a snow day when you have your kids home to do something that is fun, but also A little bit structured, which I like. And I wasn't sure how the kids would react, but they really, really love it because they all have this like element of play, but then also this product. Like there's writing a comic book where you're it gives you things that you should read or write before. I just feel like all the work is done. So if you're looking for something Mm. like this for summer or for snow days, I like to keep these around for when the kids are home and they're making me crazy and I'm like, what can we do? I can just go downstairs, make a copy. Again, it's called don't forget to write for the elementary grades nice all right well that's it for our show before you go please subscribe to the show and leave us a review on apple or spotify better yet tell your friends if you have a question for us email us at momanddad at slate.com or post it to the slate parenting facebook group just search for slate parenting if you rely on mom and dad the best way to support the show is by joining slate plus slate's membership program Signing up for Slate Plus helps us help all the people you hear on the podcast every week. Members will never hear another ad on our podcast or any other Slate podcast. You also get free and total access to Slate's website. Plus, you'll be supporting our important work. So I hope you'll join if you can. To sign up now, go to slate.com slash plus. Again, that's slate.com slash plus. Thanks. This episode of Mom and Daughter Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson. For Zach Rosen and Amon Ishmael, I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. Thanks for listening.
5: Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round entrusted hannah quality for your most precious gift hannah soft made to last shop now at hannahanderson.com